Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Hey, everyone. This is John Roker, the host of Collider Mailbag. Well, Saturday's edition of Collider Mailbag, that's today's edition. It's brought to you by DC Universe, the first all-DC platform for us DC fans where you can binge the new and highly touted original series, Titans, or jump into the beloved yet bizarre Doom Patrol with new episodes dropping weekly. Also, check out the thousands of DC comics just added, including more recent titles and complete storylines. Join at DCUniverse.com. Happy Saturday and welcome to another edition of Collider Mailbag. I am your host, John Roca, and I saw the level of questions that you fans have sent us today, and I knew I had to bring in a heavy thinker and an intelligent guy in our superhero world or our world of film and television. So I asked Dennis Zhang to come in and be my guest for this Saturday edition of Mailbag. How are you, Dennis? Doing well. I, I love the intro you, you just gave me. <laughs> I think the most compliments you ever gave me in your in your life. Stop it. Well, it's just a given, man. You're just one of the most intelligent guys I know. And you like to really be incisive on your analysis and things. And so uh, I sent you a bunch of questions from the fans. You picked out five that you really like. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in having these discussions with you. I think you guys sit back, maybe, you know, uh, uh, sit back, relax on your couch or wherever you're sitting. This is going to be a fun, open-ended conversation about a number of topics, I think, in, in this uh, rundown. Yeah. yeah? Let's get started. Let's get to it. All right. Our first question, it's an email from Liam Crossy. It writes, I was on Netflix this past weekend and noticed a movie called Layer Cake. You noticed it. It's been out for a while now. Directed by Matthew Vaughn and starring Daniel Craig. It was listed under the Trending Popular Now section. This seemed odd, as newer movies recently released, such as Triple Frontier and the streamer's documentary selection, holds a lot of people over until their next big binge of a new show. It led me to think, maybe Netflix adjusted their trending categories because they want to get into business with either Vaughn or Craig or the film's producers. Does anyone on the panel see a future slash present where streaming services such as Netflix and Amazon adjust the order of their content to highlight certain filmmakers' talent as a way to negotiate with parties they wish to work with? Thanks. Dennis? Um, I don't think they're doing it necessarily to make a deal with these mm-hmm. producers, but I could see them possibly acquiring titles mm-hmm. that maybe uh, with filmmakers or actors in general that they, they plan on working with. And, you know, uh, Netflix uses a lot of algorithms and a lot of viewer data. Yeah. To figure out one, obviously, what they think the viewer may like, and two, like what actors or directors or certain type of genre films are working better for their audience mm-hmm. and for particular audience members. And so I could see them maybe acquiring. I think Layer Cake, if you saw it pop up in Trending Popular, might mm-hmm. have been a recent, even though it's an older movie. But you know how it goes with the yeah. rights. They Sometimes they have the rights to something, and they lose it, and they get it back, or they, they acquire something else. That must have been, I'm thinking that's probably something that was probably more recently added mm-hmm. to Netflix, and they'll put it in kind of the new category or the trending category, and then people will see, oh, that's something I haven't seen yeah. on Netflix before. Right. Let me check it out. Uh, it, it happens even with movies you've seen before, mm-hmm. right? You like, you like a movie, but... Maybe you don't own it on Blu-ray and you haven't seen it on any streaming services and it pops up yeah. on something like Netflix. It's not costing you anything extra yeah. to rewatch it. Mm-hmm. So you might see it and like, hey, I'm going to rewatch it. I would like to see uh, a more – because right now Netflix, it's, it's usually based on 
kind of the either the genre, the type of film that you you like, yeah. or maybe an actor. I'd like to see more of the director spin on it in yeah. terms of like because usually when your recommend recommendations come up, they're usually like genre adjacent or something right. similar to what you've already watched before in terms of genre, but they don't really base it on like a director. No, it's like. just because you watch this, yes. you might be interested in these. But right. And it's mostly like actor or genre exactly. yeah, versus yeah. like director. I'd like them to take director into account because like there's certain directors that maybe do different types of genres yeah. that you're like, okay, I, you know, I like that particular, his, mm-hmm. his eye. Right. And you know, look, you look at this, uh, what he put here in the trending popular now section that sometimes can depend on what you've watched in, in there because they have yeah. suggestions for you. But it's different. Like my girlfriend and I share Netflix. Mm-hmm. And when she logs on because she loves British stuff, it's all British <laughs> stuff that's trending now. Or if that, yeah. That's what gets the highlight. So maybe you're into films that have like connections to Layer Cake in a way. And that's why Layer Cake popped up for you. It popped up for me, too, because I watch a lot of those kinds of films off of Netflix. A lot of the more spy or British drama type stuff. You'll see it pop up and so you'll that that makes sense for layer cake the other question you asked though is a more interesting question could netflix like do that as a way to kind of send a signal to a filmmaker or a producer or an actor they want to work with them in the future maybe they're in negotiations with that person Mm -hmm. at the time and they want their stuff to be highlighted show that look you bring in numbers that's why we want to work with you your films are still uh uh, attractive to move uh, to movie going or movie loving audiences that would be the way to go but I don't put it out of the realm of possibility also that they want to bring certain things up because, as I said earlier, the algorithm is there to find mm-hmm. out what you're watching, right? And Amazon does the same thing, right? You looked at one thing, then they'll su- mm-hmm. put a bunch of suggestions up. That's just how it works nowadays with stuff that's online. Uh, and it's business, and it makes sense to do these kinds of things. So to me, I think that's why you're seeing it in that way. Do yourself, Try something new. Start five or five to ten different movies that you would normally never see and then see how the new and trending <laughs> changes on your Netflix within two weeks. I guarantee you it will. Uh, all right, let's go to our next question. All right, uh, from email, uh, we've got Joel Hammond. And he writes, Marvel has shown that if anything happens in their movies, it's fair game to be discussed in future movies. Will the snap be one of those events that get brought up frequently in future movies? How often would you want to hear about it? And would you like to see a movie during the snap about a known or unknown hero, heck, even a Joe Schmo, and what their life was? Oh, yeah. This, this is a three-question thing. So, <laughs> Will the snap be one of those events that get brought, brought up? Yes, I think it'll get brought up. I don't think frequently, however, but I think like with Tony's PTSD, it can be something that is used as a running subplot through some series of films. However, would you want to hear about it? Not that much, to be honest with you, because then it'll lose its effect. Would I like to see a movie uh, that follows a known or unknown? Certainly possible. And with the Disney Plus streaming service and what they're talking about, these TV shows, mm-hmm. that's kind of a way to explore it. But I think it has to be brought up, certainly uh, depending on what you do with the endgame. Or if they go back in time to reverse the yeah. snap, that's where you're really going to run into a situation where that's why a bunch of people don't talk about it, but only a small minority of people remember the snap and do talk about it and don't want it to ever be repeated again. I can see that happening, that's for sure. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a question of whether or not they use either kind of time traveling mm-hmm. or alternate timelines, and then now it becomes a thing the snap never happened, but yes, yeah, like a small group of people know about it, and then therefore then regular people are not talking about right, this. Right, right. Uh, it would be weird, though, if 
the snap does or is is not reversed mm-hmm. and the people don't talk about it imagine if they like yeah. this is like the biggest thing to ever happen in like human history right and nobody's talking about it yeah. you know um people talk about like minor things that happen in their life over and over the Genosha like, thing has been brought up on yeah. the tv series and other films yeah, yeah. so yeah so so if if they keep it that it happened, definitely want it to be brought up organically. Mm-hmm. I, it, we don't want them to be sitting there every character all day like, oh, remember when the snap <laughs> happened? You know what I mean? Just like, drinking. Yeah, oh, the snap. Remember when that happened? Like, no. And we want it to be brought up naturally and organic, not like right. where you know certain movies that want to connect to other movies in the same universe and they drop something like. Where it's like, oh, well, that didn't really fit into the conversation or right. what they're talking about, but you just wanted to to make it known that this is connected to that, mm-hmm. and, and and I don't want to see that. But yeah, if if they keep it in the realm of okay, a lot of people remember it, yeah, they they should bring it up. And you make a good point though about the Disney streaming service. Yeah. That's the place for like if you're talking about like an unknown person right. and their storyline, because you're not going to release a movie about an unknown person and then their dealings with 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 the snap right a regular joe yeah yeah yeah. yeah. or jill yeah doing that i also think it's interesting with the snap if you if you like as i was saying with the 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 uh subplot if it's like a a situation where there's survivor's guilt like maybe not everyone comes back Mm -hmm. so we could see the snap being a uh, part of a the, of the psychological makeup of one of the heroes or a couple of the heroes who are trying to recover from the snap, as we saw with Tony and the PTSD, we could see that with the snap. If some of the heroes don't come back or they fail in trying to bring the heroes back, how that tortures that other hero who couldn't bring the, the, the certain yeah. hero back. That could be something that could run through a couple of movies or three movies. I, what I don't want, though, is at the end of Endgame, it's like, we reverse the snap. Everyone's fine. Take a tape parade. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> back to life. Right. No one's dead. Nothing happened. Like, yeah. then what's the point? Then what the, why did I watch Infinity War? Why did I watch like twenty movies? I'm mean, obviously I enjoyed them most right, of right. them a, a lot. But I mean, what's the point of the buildup if, in the end, nothing ends up affecting the characters or the world or anything yeah. like that then yeah. then it's like okay fine like you're never gonna buy into any of the drama or the weight of any consequences mm-hmm. if if that's the case that's been our battle dennis and i dennis is like okay. if they don't br- if they bring everybody back what was the point and yeah. i'm like in comic books they always bring everybody back so we'll see what end game i don't mind them bringing some people back yeah. just don't bring everybody back <laughs> Hey everyone, this is John Roker, the host of Collider Mailbag again. Well, today's edition, the Saturday edition of Collider Mailbag, is brought to you by DC Universe, the first all DC platform for us DC fans. Join at DCUniverse.com and get sucked into new original series like the highly touted Titans, or jump into Doom Patrol, DC's most beloved team of super freaky superheroes, featuring an incredible cast of Joyvan Wade, Diane Guerrero, April Balby, Alan Tudyk, Matt Bomber, and Brendan Fraser, with new episodes dropping weekly. Or get your comic book fixed with thousands of new comic titles just added to an already impressive comic library. This includes more recent titles and complete storylines like Superman Secret Origin, Batman 2011, and Harley Quinn 2013. Also available on the platform are tons of the classic DC movies we love, like Batman, Batman Returns, 
and the original Superman movie. If animated films are more your speed, join now because the new Justice League versus the Fatal Five is coming soon. DC Universe is available on all your favorite devices, so if you were thinking about it before, now's definitely the time. Join and get a year's worth of DC content at DCUniverse.com. Let's go to our next question. Uh, This is from Instagram. Max Broughton writes, Hi, my question is, do you think that Avengers will have a place post-Phase 4, and what will it be? A place. Now, this could mean two different things, so what do you think? I mean, yeah, definitely, I I think there's a place. I think they're going to have a change it up. It's going to be a different lineup. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why the end game is going to focus, because you had Infinity War, and it was like, Almost every character we've ever seen yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the MCU. This one, they said they're going to focus on, on kind of the original Avengers from the first movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're bringing back uh, Ronan and Hawkeye. Yep. And I think it's it's a, a last hurrah. That doesn't mean they're all going to die or whatever. But, you know, some may die and some may just go off and do their own thing yeah. because they're going to introduce. They kind of tried to do that in, I think, was it Age of Ultron? Was it Age of Ultron? Mm-hmm. With or was it Civil War where they had like the new Avengers, the group? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it was Civil War. Yeah, Civil, Civil War. War. I think it's going to be like that, but even mm-hmm. more like there's not going to be Iron Man, there's not going to be Captain America. I could see like Hawkeye or Black Widow sticking around, yeah, but like yeah. I, Thor gone, I think Hulk gone. I think we're going to see like Captain Marvel, Ant Man, Doctor Strange, War Machine, like that mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. be like the new Avengers. And so I think they're going to have they're going to have to find a different kind of purpose or place because we had Thanos as as kind of the overarching villain for these first 20 or so movies, they need to find something else that's different. Mm -hmm. And I I think Avengers will probably, I mean, we had them come out how many years in between? Was it, I think the first one was 2012, right? Yeah, 2012. So it's been every... Every two or three years they come out. Two or three years. I'm thinking maybe the next Avengers will take a little longer. Mm -hmm. Like maybe three or four years because they have to build this new phase which they're going to have they've already established Black Panther and Doctor Strange and, and, Captain, and, Marvel, and yeah. Captain Marvel yeah. and then they're probably going to add some new stuff I mean they're just going to be Guardians 3 right. so I think it's just going to be a different lineup a different uh, purpose I yeah. guess yeah yeah, and I agree with that. I think that's the thing that I, we're going to be uh, having questions about after Avengers Endgame. Where do the Avengers fit? What will they look like by the end of that movie? Mm-hmm. And where will their place be in the MCU? Because not only is you have to worry about the Avengers, now with this merger, you've got the X-Men possibly mm-hmm. coming, Fantastic Four mm-hmm. possibly getting created. Uh, and also, you throw in those rumors about West Coast Avengers with Deadpool now going over. X-Force is another group that could be a possibility here. And of course, hey, Hey, James Gunn coming back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So a lot of groups will be folk will be kind of possibly uh, either created or teased to be created in Phase 4. So yes, I think it's de- the Avengers definitely have a place in Phase 4. I just don't think they have the place like they had in the first 20 movies, 22 movies, whatever it is, uh, because we've seen so many hours of the Avengers now. It will have to change the lineups and kind of break it up a little bit to keep it fresh. And maybe... You know, sometimes less is more. The weight 
could be a little bit longer for another Avengers movie because you're laying the groundwork for all the other new ones that are coming through. And so that would be fine as well. It doesn't mean they can't pop up in those other movies. Yeah. Maybe just not as the Avengers as a whole team. And that's exciting. And if you meant, will the Avengers have a place in terms of a place to be at? Yes. The Avengers <laughs> will have a compound in some form, in some way over there. It may not be Stark related, but they will have a compound in some way uh, in, phase, in Phase 4. Yeah, and you, you mentioned like being fresh. Like, yeah, Avengers, we've seen them. There's, you know, going to be four movies by the end of Endgame, right? Plus Civil Wars. Like that was like that was, that like was a, essentially Avengers. 2.5 yeah, or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're talking like five movies mm-hmm. with Avengers, where you mentioned MCU's getting their hands on Fantastic Four and X Men for the yeah. first time. And yes, we've seen them in the in the Fox era, but now people want to see much like how Spider Man yeah. in the MCU they want to see that new take yes. on it. Yeah, that's why I think Galactus is a possibility as we walk into this. So. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. What do we got next? All right, we've got an email from Anthony Petosa. He writes, "I just." finished watching us and thoroughly enjoyed jordan peele's second film coming off the massive success of get out one thing i did notice while discussing the film with my friends were the constant mentions to how the film compares to get out especially the twist my question is do you think jordan peele could fall into the trap that we saw early in m night Shyamalan's career where every movie he made was compared to six cents <laughs> By the time The Village premiered, expectations were so high for the filmmaker that audiences started to become disappointed in his films because they did not live up to the sixth sense in their opinions. What lessons can be learned for Jordan to avoid this? Thanks and keep up the great work. Uh, what lessons can be learned? I don't know. You, the, there are the the um, Holly. The history of Hollywood is littered with directors who came out with great first films, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, and then couldn't quite keep it up and then fell down or came back up like Shyamalan has. So with Jordan Peele, already you hear, at least for me, from a number of my friends who don't work in this business but went to go see us, they are already comparing it to Get Out and didn't think it was as good as Mm -hmm. Get Out. So that's certainly a possibility. That's the danger you run when you come out with something so powerful and revolutionary and different in a genre. The rest of your stuff is going to be compared to that, and and you're going to be asked to match it or rise above it and do even better. So, yes, this will be something Jordan takes with him film to film. People inevitably will compare it. But what's great about Jordan is he's doing these things that Shyamalan didn't do, which he's branching out into TV and branching out into these other other areas of media to show his uh, abilities as a storyteller, a producer, a writer, director, what have you. And that's exciting all around. Mm-hmm. He's resuscitating Candyman. So there's a number of places that he's going to put uh, his talents at where you're just not like, okay, only director, only director, only director. Like M. Night, there's other things that Jordan can be doing. And oh, hey, he's an actor as well. Whereas M. Night, no matter how hard he tries, is not. <laughs> so I, I think certainly Jordan will have these questions from the fans or from people who watch movies. It's up to him, though. But I think he's tackling it in a way that's different than M. Night by spreading himself out in a good way. Yeah, and in terms of the expectations, yeah, there are lessons definitely to be learned. But I think in the case of M. Night, mm. where, okay, yes, a lot of people uh, really like Sixth Sense and there was high expectations for future movies. But M. Night's kind of downfall before his kind of mini-resurrection that he's had lately was not because of just expectations. It wasn't like, oh, okay, we really like Sixth Sense, and so, uh, you know, Unbreakable was good, but it wasn't, you know, uh, it didn't deliver in terms of box office mm-hmm. like Sixth Sense, sure. But I think more of the, the slide down for him was, one, yes, he was kind of 
had a lot of pressure in terms of like delivering, especially with the twist thing. I yeah, think the twist thing became a thing. Yeah, it just yeah. became too too reliant on that. And hopefully Jordan Peele learns that lesson. I mean, obviously, he's had two twists in his mm-hmm. uh, first two movies. However, I would say the two twists in the, in the two movies aren't really. Um, while I like them, I don't think they are absolutely necessary for mm-hmm. the films to work. They still work without without them. Sure. And so um, I think re- not relying on that and, like you said, branching out. And, and then, yeah, with M. Night, it just became a thing where he, I think he bought too much into himself. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you saw, like, because before, you know. Uh, ego. Yeah, you had signs and then you had the village and then. I mean, come on. I mean, those are movies that are not uh, – you move into, like, Lady in the Water yeah, and, yeah. and, that, and uh, The Happening and, and, and uh, After Earth. And, yeah. Oh, oh uh, Airbender, which is – Oh, know, yeah, yeah. The Last Airbender. Yeah. Oof. Like, so those aren't like, oh, those failed because people were expecting success. No, those, those did not work because they were not good movies. Right. They right. really weren't. So that's – I think that's the lesson is Jordan Peele just – one don't rely just on twists. Mm-hmm. Twist doesn't have to be like you can make a movie without a twist and it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. And then two, don't buy into yourself so much where you're like I'm just going to do anything I want and right. then everyone will love it. Um, I think the the um, danger he runs now after these first two films is people looking for the social message. Uh-huh. I think that's the danger. He should definitely still be doing that. I think that's the movies are going to, people are going to come to these movies and start hunting out the social messages he's trying to say rather than just sitting back and enjoying what he's mm-hmm. presenting to them. That's what I think may be the danger with him. Whereas people hunted for the twist in the Shyamalan movies, I think they'll hunt for the social messages that uh, Jordan is trying to say already. There's so many think pieces, and we did a mm-hmm. one uh, through Perry explaining the ending and the message and all that kind of stuff. So it's out there. I think that's where he runs the risk of maybe becoming a uh, in essence, kind of a one-trick pony in that way. And also He's maybe not, over-reliance maybe. or, or yeah, too focused I mean. on yeah, that, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing is that's you want point. to tell a good story with good characters and all that stuff, but if you become so focused on this one thing, yeah. uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in our next subject <laughs> yeah. as well. Cause, uh, um, but, yeah, if you just become so focused, because remember, a movie is, is – a much larger yeah. piece that yeah. you have to do a lot of different things for. And if you're just focused on one thing, it, it becomes uh, very dangerous. Yes, agreed. Hey, everyone, this is John Roca. This episode, one more time, is brought to you by DC Universe, the first all-DC platform for us DC fans. Join at DCUniverse.com to stream the original series, Doom Patrol, with new episodes dropping weekly. For those not familiar with Doom Patrol, they're one of the most beloved and bizarre superhero crews out there, with each member having suffered a previous horrific injury that now gives them unique superpowers. They have united as a squad of super freaks to fight for a world that, ironically, wants nothing to do with them. The Star Study cast is led by Joyvin Wade as Cyborg, Diane Guerrero as Crazy Jane, April Balby as Elastigirl, Alan Tudyk as Mr. Nobody with Matt Bomber as Negative Man, and Brendan Fraser as Robot Man. Enjoy Doom Patrol as well as other original series, thousands of added comics, animated films, and classic DC movies on the ultimate DC platform, DC Universe. Available on all your favorite devices. Join today and get a year's worth of DC content at DCUniverse.com. Okay. All right, let's move on to our next question. Uh, now that we've teased it, it's yeah. uh, from Twitter. It's from at Mike Mixtape. He asks, hey, Collider Mailbag and Roca, love the show. Keep it up. My question is, which director had the best directorial debut with their first film? It's normally a hit or miss when it comes to directorial debuts, but when it's good, it's amazing. Thanks for reading. Peace out, Mike. 
Um, so it's hard to say who the best was. Right. There are definitely a lot of notables. I know a lot of people put Orson Welles and Citizen sure. Kane up there just because Citizen Kane is so uh, well known in in the history of film, right. uh, and it's revered. Uh, not so revered on this end, but <laughs> surely but, revered on this. Yeah, end. yeah, yeah. So, um, but that that is de- definitely a very yeah. uh, you know impressive debut. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. for me. Uh, that's you know Quentin Tarantino is a, a, one of my favorite filmmakers. Mm-hmm. That's his first film that he you know did on a very low budget. Yeah, um, and you know he was able to pull off something that looked and felt so much bigger than it actually was. Yeah. You know, um, and then you have like a lot of these uh, smaller ones that. Not smaller, but I, I would say like science fiction. Usually, like science fiction horror, very good like mm-hmm. debut movies mm-hmm. for, for uh, directors. You have uh, Shane Carruth and Primer. Do you see Primer? Yeah, Primer yeah. was I intense. Mean, yeah, and that was like a very low budget mm-hmm. film. Relied mostly on, on, on the script. Yeah, you know, something bigger like Neil Blomkamp and uh, District, District Nine. District Nine, right? Uh, Moon, I love. Oh, Duncan uh, Jones, right? From exactly. Duncan Jones, yeah, yeah. Alex Garland and Ex Machina. Yeah. Oh, so there's, yeah. yeah, those are the kind of sci-fi ones. There's a few more in there, but yeah, I don't know if I could place like, hey, this is the one. I, I mean, if I had to say my personal favorite of them, it would be the Quentin Tarantino Reservoir Dog ones. Yeah. But there's a lot of, you know, you talk. We just talked about Jordan Peele. Get Out was a very impressive first movie. There's yeah. so many. Agreed, agreed, yeah. Uh, Reservoir Dogs is top of my list. It is still my favorite Tarantino film, no matter what he does. Kill Bill coming up a really close second. The first one, though, right? Well, yeah, well, to me, they're all one film. Okay. So, yeah, I don't I don't separate them because he didn't separate them. Okay. Weinstein made him separate them. And so, for me, they're all it's all one I, film. I, I really like the second one, but I think the first one is superior. Yeah. Well, sure. I yeah. think that's a valid point you can you can argue. Um, but, uh, but with that, though, but Reservoir, not only because it's an incredible debut, it also helps to launch the independent film movement of the 90s into the mainstream. This is when people were like, wait, what is this? They're, they're hunting it out. They're mm-hmm. trying to find it. So cinephiles or film lovers or people who are trying to be cool find Reservoir Dogs and it's their thing, their hidden thing, like that album, you know, that mm-hmm. or that CD. Oh, you got to hear this band. That's what Reservoir Dogs became. And then Tarantino, of course, killed it with Pulp Fiction, incredible with Pulp Fiction. But Reservoir is the one that, like, to me, I think is an incredible debut because it, in essence, shows you what is coming in this independent film movement and how it's going to uh, change cinema as we know it. Um, Sam Mendes in American Beauty, I think that was a fantastic debut mm-hmm. by him to come out and win the best picture and come from theater, hone his bones in theater, and walk onto a film set and direct a film. That's incredible. It has uh, shades of Orson Welles walking off a theater stage onto a film set to direct Citizen Kane himself after being very successful in the theater world with his production. Mendes kind of mirrors that uh, and just like Wells, I don't think Mendes has come close to matching what he did in American Beauty in some of his other films, subsequent other films. Uh, and Terrence Malick is another one I throw out there for Badlands. You know, before we got this current version of Terrence Malick, who is stream of consciousness and <laughs> like don't even try to find a plot in his movies, just enjoy whatever the hell he's doing, which I do. Badlands is an incredible film. It has nothing to do with stream of consciousness. It's a thriller based on a real story about these this couple that went on a serial killing spree with a young Martin Sheen, a young Sissy Spacek. His cinematography in the movie is incredible. His uh, 
driving pace of the movie is incredible and the dread and terror and suspense throughout the movie the kind of languid terror and suspense throughout the movie uh was fantastic and it captures the american heartland in a way that you have maybe never seen before and then of course days of heaven right after that is phenomenal and subsequently until he gets the stream of consciousness stuff so to me that that all three of these guys kind of changed the look of film and how they did their debuts that kind of put them near the top for me i couldn't put orson welles because that's that's logically my <laughs> number one because i love citizen kane so yeah, much I mean, but i wanted to explore other things a few other ones yeah. not necessarily uh my favorite ones but in terms of i really like these films in their debut i mean we mm-hmm. just had uh, bradley cooper did a stars born this right. past year great stuff uh ryan coogler fruitville station yeah good you point. know what i mean um quentin tarantino you're talking about reservoir dogs like it was a movie that you saw that he used his creativity in the screenwriting yes to create this very large store with, if you think about it, it's like two guys in a warehouse. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. The, the crux of it, right? Stealing jewels or yeah. diamonds. Yeah, yeah which yeah. you never see the heist. Right, like, you never no, see the heist. Yeah, which yeah. is, you know, um, obviously he, 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 and he admittedly borrowed some stuff from, uh, uh, was it City of Fire? Yeah, City of uh, Ringo uh, Lamb uh, yeah. film, yeah. The Hong Kong film. Um, so it was just one of those things where he was able to take a very limited thing and make it, yeah, make Look, it big. Make it make it very big. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The one thing I wanted to talk about too, when I teased before, it's like it's very interesting. Like you're seeing, like Tar- Tarantino is a different different animal altogether yeah. because he kind of came from. It was like a video store clerk or whatever. Right. He's one of those ones that was just born to direct, yeah. right? He was just born to direct. But most people come from different backgrounds. You mentioned like theater yeah. actors, uh, cinematographers, uh, screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're talking about. Uh, Something like a Nightcrawler, Dan Gilroy right, was, a, right. was a screenwriter. Alex Garden, we, Alex Garden we, who we mentioned, mm-hmm. he was a screenwriter. He did 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Dread, mm-hmm. before he did Ex Machina. Just like, so people are coming from different disciplines that, that have helped them along the way right. to be able to direct. Um, the one thing, though, I would say is like sometimes they get... Uh, and I've noticed this more. I know people can get angry at me. I've noticed this more with cinematographers or like maybe VFX guys where they're so focused on the technical aspect mm-hmm. of it, mm-hmm. whether it's cinematography or, or visual effects, that the other stuff goes to the wayside. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That's why I actually find actors to be some of the more successful of, of the directors, the, the transition to directors, mm-hmm. because they, they have been on sets. They've mm-hmm. been experiencing all the stuff that goes on within the production of, of a movie. And yeah. so they have that insight into, into creating and not all actors, but I'm just saying it, it gives them a, a head start more yeah. than most of the other disciplines. If they're, if they have any interest it's certainly on the job training. Yes. And most directors and producers are willing to sit down with their main actors and have conversations about directing something or what the process is or where they need to learn. That's certainly true. And I think you're right there. The, direct, the actors seem to have a more seamless transition into directing film. Even Dennis Hopper, who never directed a good film again, Easy Rider is one of these classic films from that time. And he stepped out from in front of the camera to behind the camera and directed something that's still a legendary film. You know, So that does happen. And we'd be remiss not to mention Frank Darabont with Shawshank yes. Redemption. Yes. That is a fantastic movie. We just did that on one of my podcasts, The Cinephiles, broke that thing down. You forget that that's a first film. Mm -hmm. Such an incredible epic film 
uh, told in a simple way in a prison all in one place, mostly. And it's just an incredible debut and adapting a Stephen King film or a story, a short story into yeah. such a long form. And I think he, he was a screenwriter before yes. before that as well. Uh, you took Kevin Costner with Dances with Wolves, right, actor right. To, to director, Robert Redford, Ordinary People. Yes. Right, direct, right. Or actor to director. You know what I mean? Mel so, Gibson. Yeah. 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 So there's all these like transitions from different disciplines. Yeah. That, like, so the Tarantinos are, are kind of the anomalies The like, you know, yeah. the, like Tarantino wasn't like... Um, he wasn't like shooting like commercials and music videos, right? And, you know what I mean. Like Fincher was, right? Right. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of people transition from music videos or commercials mm-hmm. into maybe feature films, or maybe they've been in shorts and whatnot. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Th- that's more of the rare case. It's usually a, from another another uh, discipline. Yeah, another discipline. All right. Well, there you go. That's our answers to your questions. As always, thank you so much for sending these questions in. They are so much fun to look through and explore. And trust me, we get a lot of them. So uh, I have to find like the best 15 to 20. I sent them on to Dennis. Dennis picked out the five he really liked, and I hope you enjoyed our discussions about them. Let us know what your answers are to our questions in the comments section below. It's always fun for me to read those comments. I may not always comment back, but I like reading the comments Mm -hmm. and hearing what you all think, because you are such a well- versed and knowledgeable movie going and movie loving audience it's a lot on tv loving audience it's fun to talk and see your conversations in there all right, as always when we put the calls out on social media for next week's collider mailbag look for the calls on on twitter and on instagram follow us there and you'll see it when you put your question make sure you put the hashtag collider mailbag makes it easier for me to find if you want to email us you can do it mailbag at collider.com all right thanks everybody for watching have yourself a great saturday i want to thank dennis for stopping by where can they find you you guys can find me on twitter or instagram Dennis.tzng. Also, been doing a bunch of shows here. Mm-hmm. We just started our Game of Thrones podcast. Woo! And then you, you're you going to be on the review show. Yes. You, me, Ashley, and then we'll, we'll whether figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I think Perry or Haley might might hop on there. We'll be doing those uh, once the season starts, but we started our, the weekly podcast. Yeah, yeah, with you and Ashley. Yeah. I already listened to the first episode. A lot of fun. You guys should definitely listen to it if you're into the Game of Thrones as deeply as Dennis and Ashley mm-hmm. are. And even if you're not, because you get some knowledge, they might help you understand the show a little bit better as you're doing your rewatches. All right, that's it for today. Have yourself a great Saturday, as I said, and we'll see you next time tomorrow for another episode of Collider Mailbag.